Good morning. How are you? It's a good day to be in God's house and experience church and community, being together with uh, like-minded believers, and what a great group of kids heading downstairs. Uh, grateful to have Children's Church workers to uh, go and accommodate those kids downstairs and help them um, in their walk with Christ. We are continuing our education series uh, that we have uh, going on right now for the past several weeks and talking about Sunday school and the history of Sunday school. We laid off week one uh, talking about how those individuals over in England started the process of helping the impoverished poor kids uh, in their society uh, come to an education to where that they could uh, read and write and how that that uh, brought them out of their condition that they were in, that uh, poverty has a way of clutching its hold on a segment of society. And Jesus said that the poor you will always have with you. So uh, poverty is a weapon of the enemy. Uh, actually, I believe that the devil looks to kill, steal, and destroy, according to Scripture in John chapter 10, that he wants to take everything away from you so that you have nothing and live with nothing and die with nothing. But I believe that God said in John 10, 10, he goes on, because the devil don't establish your life, God does. So the second half of John 10, 10 says that God comes to uh, give you abundance. And that abundance is, is greater than anything we've ever known. And uh, if God gives, uh, the only way the enemy can take it away is if we allow him to. So you've got to take control of your life. And I believe that education is so paramount in our society and in our culture that we have to have it in order to uh, overcome the poverty that the rest of the third world countries that we see and know uh, are so ensnared with, so entangled with. So I'm a proponent for education. And I am kind of amazed at how God ties together in his word all the time these verses that we're reading through as we study these, uh, how that God cares about education. It's not just you, and it's not just me or my thoughts or my uh, beliefs. It's what God wants. God wants an educated people. Uh, Timothy, Paul wrote the book of T Timothy, and he told him, uh, his beloved son, he said, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So Paul told Timothy how important education was that we are to continue to educate ourselves. And uh, wisdom, we learned uh, in week one, Proverbs chapter four, verse seven, that said, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. We talked about how knowledge comes from education, but wisdom is being around long enough in life to apply the knowledge that you have and how that God wants you to have that wisdom. Uh, last week, we dove in a little bit more and talked more about the history uh, of the uh, uh, Sunday school movement and how that God wants us to uh, have... Uh, education and how it can affect and how that the church corrupts things that once God starts something if humanity gets involved and uh, our carnal nature gets involved then we will disrupt what God intends 
And God attended Sunday school to be a good thing, to alleviate poverty, to help the poor, to be out in the community, being the church we're called to be. But anytime uh, God sets us out to go do a thing, the enemy will try to cause us to go back to our old ways and do what we used to do and just worry about ourselves. Is anybody guilty of that? There's no selfish people in the room. Robin, could you say that about your daughters? Are they kind of just so giving and thoughtful and caring about each other and just, yeah, uh huh. Yes, sis, you can wear my shorts anytime. You can have any shirt you want out of my closet. And yeah, uh huh. I witnessed that when we went camping a few weeks ago. Uh, Whitney come bouncing through there. And he's like, You got my shorts on? It's like, It's the end of the world, my shorts. My shorts. So that's how we are in our carnal nature, right? That we're just that way as humans. And God doesn't want us to be that way. He wants us to help others. He wants us to be there for those in need. And Whitney's got enough of her own shorts. I'm just using that as an example. So Whitney, wear your own shorts if you don't care. Um, calling you out in front of the whole church. Uh, so we need to be that way to be helpful, to be the uh, genuine people God's called us to be. Uh, and as a church, as Bethesda, I want Bethesda to be a church, and I want us to show that through our leadership and everything that we do as a, a church and as a congregation and through the leadership team. We want to be a church that helps people, that cares about people, that uh, wants to be there when others have needs, uh, that need that they can't meet their self. And Ellie's spitting all over everything. What are you doing, Lathan? <laughs> Elizabeth's going to have to take a shower when she gets home. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Um, so, yeah, education is important. And I believe uh, education, and I told you about how the lady down in Louisville told me to uh, never say that again about myself, that I'm uh, lesser, that I'm not good enough, that I... Uh, have this characteristic about me as a person that I've always felt uh, inadequate in that uh, my education holds me back and the place I come from and I grew up holds me back and how that uh, we can get ingrained and entrenched in a thought process that God wants to bring us out of. And we can say, well, I'm just from Lewis County and Lewis County's never had anything. Lewis County's never going to have anything and it's just always going to be old Lewis County. But if we believe God and trust God, he can bring us out of where we're at and take us to where he wants us to be. And uh, I'm talking to you today, and I'm uh, speaking to you that uh, I tell the apprentices up at work all the time that uh, how crazy is it that God uses somebody like me, and I had a 1.8 GPA. Leslie tells me all the time, don't say that. So I'm saying it anyway. Nana boo-boo, Leslie. Uh, I graduated high school with a 1.8 GPA, and that's really sad, really, but it's not because I wasn't uh, smart or uh, don't have the mental uh, capability to understand things. Uh, I didn't apply myself. Maybe I'm the only one else in the room that ever did that. Nobody else... Everybody else, you've just exceeded and excelled, and uh, Sammy just loves it when he gets a baseball team, and everybody just goes the extra mile and tries to work out extra that everybody else does, and everybody's trying to one-up everybody else. It don't work that way, does it? We just take, in society, we just back up, and let's take the easy road. Let's take the comfortable road. And I'm not going to really strive for anything. I'm just going to get by. 
And God don't want that for us. He wants us to excel in life and try and, and strive. And, and he even tells us to put our hand to the plow and don't look back. And how that we are to take on this life and live it for every ounce that we have while we're little, uh, still breathing air. That we should take advantage of life. And that 1.8 GPA, it didn't hold me back because I went on through my life and uh, continued. And every year of my life since high school, there hasn't been one year that I haven't taken some type of certification or class or course or something. I'm 43 years old, and there's never been a year of my life, other than the first five years, that I haven't taken some kind of class. So what I call that is, in studying and thinking, uh, reading articles, different things, they call that a lifelong learner. And I want to encourage us as a church to be lifelong learners. That I believe that God uh, is asking us and calling us to, to be more, to do more, to strive for more, and to look for education moments. And not just in taking classes or, or going to a college or something like that, but actually diving in his word and studying his word and, and, and setting out to say, if your word says this, I want to strive to be this. But with my 1.8 GPA... At work, I went through these courses and done these things and went through a apprenticeship program. And next thing you know, a year and a half in, I, I read a leadership book because I got involved in church. And uh, they said there's no greater book on leadership than the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by Max, or by uh, John Maxwell. I always say Max Lucado because Max got stuck in my head. But uh, John Maxwell. And I got the book in the office in here. It's an awesome book. It gives you 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And and just in there, he, he says one place that John Maxwell is quoted as saying that you teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. That doesn't sound like too much of an uh, earth-shattering quote, right? That, eh, just another quote. But I read that, and it kind of is like, it just like stuck with me. And I've always memorized that quote, that you teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. So I was sitting in the office one day, and I was talking to my boss, and, and just sitting there and, and talking, and, and he's talking about apprenticeship and different things. And I, I said that, that it's important for young people and apprentices to, to uh, we don't require something of them that we're not ourselves. And that's why a lot of people won't come to church. Why? Because it's full of hypocrites. Right? Everybody there's hypocrites. So you know what a hypocrite is? If somebody says they're something, but they're not. So I believe that everybody in this room is a hypocrite. How dare my pastor tell me I'm a hypocrite? It's the truth, though, that we, we try to portray ourselves, and we do strive, but a hypocrite is somebody that messes up. So can I get any truthfulness in this room to say, yes, I said I was going to do something, and I didn't, and I messed up. And it was a mistake, and I feel sorry for it, and I want a forgiveness for it, but I made a mistake. Is anybody here willing to raise their hand in front of everybody else and say, oh, there's three, four, okay, nobody else. Oh, now the truth's coming out. Uh-oh, it's calling you out. It's, the truth's come out all of a sudden. So... We're hypocritical in that we, we don't set the example that we're supposed to live. And, and the outside world is watching us. And it's so important to strive. And we're not doing it uh, on their behalf, but we're doing it because God called us to be the person that he called us to be. And you're going to mess up. 
Just because you come and sit in a church building and sit under a roof and listen to God's word preached and listen to music and have all this godly lifestyle that we try to live and strive for doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. I love it when Pastor Wells was here a couple weeks ago and he said perfect. He, he thinks it ends with a K, I guess. And, and Leslie laughs every time. And when Pastor was here there a Sunday tour ago, I heard him say, I don't know how many times he said the word perfect. It was all, I loved it. It was because Leslie was sitting there like, I wish he would just say it right. And he, don't, he, he talks about what was the show he watched? Uh, Walker. Ranger Walker instead of Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> he calls it Ranger Walker. <laughs> so Pastor gets a little mixed up. But he says we're not perfect, and he always told me that. And in growing up in church and listening to him, I, I realized that, that there's no stage of perfection that I'm going to obtain that I will not mess up anymore. Because as long as you're in this carnal body living on this temporal earth, guess what? You're going to make a mistake. I'm not telling you to continue to make mistakes. I'm not encouraging you to make mistakes. But I'm telling you, you're going to. And when it happens, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to back up and say, well, I just won't do anything anymore? I'll just quit going to church, and I've, I've failed God, I've failed my church, I've failed my connection group, and I just can't do this anymore? No. We're going to get back up the next morning, pray to God for forgiveness, and go out and go at it again. Amen? Amen? And strive to do something. But education is so important. So uh, when I said that quote to my boss, he said, uh, man, that's awesome. And then it was about a year later, he had to hire somebody to be the training director for the for the our workplace. Out of 500 people, he had to choose one. He had one choice to make. Who am I going to choose to be the training director? And he said that quote struck in his mind, and he, he heard that, and he's like, wow, Ben is who I want other people to be like. That's crazy, really, for me. So he called me, and he said, can you be the training director? And I was like, huh? I just graduated a year ago. He's like, yeah, but I need you to be training director. I said, okay, I, I guess. Can I think about it? No, I need you to ask, answer right now. I said, okay, yes. It's a full-time job in an office. And I, I said, okay. And I said, well, when's it going to start? And he said, in the morning. I said, but I'm working for this contractor. I need to go tell uh, Mike, my boss, that I'm going to be doing something else. He said, I've already talked to him. How awesome is that? He knew my answer before I knew my answer. And he'd already made a way and went behind the scenes and set it up because he knew I was going to say yes. But that one quote changed the course of destiny for my life. By reading one book and having one quote stick in my mind and quoting it to somebody else caused me to have success that I never knew I would be possible. Because who with a 1.8 GPA should be over a training program for 50, 60, 70 other people teaching them how to do something? But with God, all things are possible. You have to believe that God is changing your destiny. If I wouldn't have went to church, I wouldn't have read the book, and I wouldn't have said the quote, and I wouldn't have got that job, and I'd still be out striving today with nothing. God will have you good success in life if you'll trust him and go the little extra mile and read the book when somebody hands it to you and try to do a little bit extra. Strive for that perfection. Education, that's what it will do for you. 
I believe in it wholeheartedly. And Sister Gartha, when she started Bethesda, said this is going to be a church that helps people that are in need, that thinks it's not possible, and we're going to be an encouragement to people that thinks, well, there's no way out of this mess. There's no way out of this circumstance I'm in. But God says, yes, you can. I don't know what every person in this room is going through or facing right now. And I don't know at this stage in your life of what you're dealing with or what complications you're having. But I'm telling you this, with God, all things are possible. And he's asking you today to strive to do a little more. To step out in faith and say, I don't make any sense. I don't understand. God, show me what you're trying to teach me. Anybody awake? It's awful quiet in here. I'm having no feedback. Leslie says when I have no feedback that uh, I preach longer. So it's up to you how long we're going to sit here. Your destiny is in your hands at this moment. So this week three, I want to talk about uh, education and, and kind of my grandmother uh, i got five minutes to get this uh, point across to you, and then we're going to do something different. But uh, this education and how my grandmother, Shirley, Naomi, Foreman, Collier, uh, transformed my life in teaching me about, about education. And she only had an eighth-grade education. She And back in that time, you know, back in the 30s and 40s, that if you went through the eighth grade, that was the normal, that that's about what you would go through school. And she went to a little one-room school, and I'm sure she had some fantastic teachers that would uh, pour into her life and I'm just grateful for all the instructors and all the teachers I've had throughout my life. Can you think of a of a, maybe a teacher in grade school or middle school or high school or maybe even college that really had an impact on your life and just let that come rolling back right now to think about man they encouraged me even when I thought I was nothing and I thought everybody else in the classroom was more important to me they paid attention to me and give extra effort and one of those people for me is Sue Brown. Uh, just passed away recently. Miss Sue Brown was an awesome teacher. I had her in the first grade, and then she switched grades, and she taught third grade, so I had her in first grade and third grade. How awesome is that? Your favorite teacher throughout all your life to have her twice instead of once. That's all, I, not because I failed and went back and turned the grade over, but because I had the second chance. But I loved Miss Sue Brown and how encouraging she was and how she would pat you on the back and pat you on the head and, and, and encourage you to strive and do more. And she, she begged my brother not to write like he wrote. And, and she, he had her in first grade, too. And how he's left-handed, and he's an oddball. You bunch of left-handers, you're all just weird. That's just, if any left-handers in the room, sorry. Uh, well, that's just the way it is. And he would write, but he'd hold his pencil like this. And, and he always wore a big callus on his finger, on his pinky. And Miss Sue Brown would encourage him, man, you need to hold your pencil like this. But how he kept on using his pencil like this. And he's still today, if he holds a pencil, he holds it, well, here's like this. Pinky is the only thing. And he used it so much in school that it wore a big knot on his finger. And she tried to tell him how the right way to do it, but he wouldn't listen. And still today, he still writes like this. Name left-handers, you know how they are. The wrists got to be around backwards and all that. Sorry, I love left-handers too. God loves you if you're a lefty. But education is what do we do with what we're taught. And I love Miss Sue Brown. But my grandma encouraged me at home, and, and she would tell me about things, and whenever I'd go out there, she'd tell me how special I was, and just a super encouraging human being to only have an eighth grade education. 
But it's kind of dumbfounding because so many people that ever come into contact with her figured out that, man, she's wise beyond her years. And it's because she read she's got 14,000 books in a library sitting out there on Kenny Connect that's that deep with dust right now because nobody else in the family reads like she read. And she had so much wisdom, but it come from the books that she read. And she encouraged and prodded us grandkids to go forward and strive and do more but I was going to school and doing nothing I'd go out to talk to grandma and she would encourage me and strive and push and all that but still I'd go to school and do nothing and I wish I could go back now with what I've been able to do in life and and after I become a Christian and how much more I look into education and look at everything as an opportunity now I wish I could go back and speak to her now she passed away about six months after I got saved and I never she never got to witness very much of my Christian life and I hope I would make her proud but she loved poetry my grandma loved poetry she passed away when she was in her 70s and had cancer and went on to be with Jesus. But she loved poetry so much that she had memorized over a hundred full-page poems. I mean, just general conversation. You'd just be talking to her about anything, Jason, and she would just go into this poem and tell you sentences of it and how it applies and how to do this. Those kind of people are special. She wasn't born special. She was born to an alcoholic father, and her, her mom died by the time she was just 17 months old, I believe. She grew up with nothing. Bounced from house to house. Stay with an uncle for a while, move over here for a while. She didn't have the most dynamic childhood, but she went on to educate herself, even with eighth grade education, but she loved poetry. And as I look through the Bible and I begin to think about this education series, I want to see that education is so important and how poetry is involved in the Bible. And it's awesome that Albie and Dusty has taught the uh, teenagers here at church the books of the Bible and how they're broke up in these different segments, that there's historical, that there's poetical, that there's literature, that there's all these different things and the Gospels and how the, all the Bible aligns together to make this one big book. But they're broken down really in sections. And Josiah Menegro quoted like this, that there's five poetical books in the Old Testament. It's pretty awesome to know. How many adults knew it? Do you ever think about the Bible as being poetry? And poetry is this. I looked it up on, because I didn't know. I know what poetry is, but I didn't know how to explain it, so I looked it up for you. Is that okay? Everybody all right with that? If not... Poetry is a type of literature based on interplay of words and rhythm. It often employs a rhyme or meter, a set of rules governing the number of arrangement of syllables in each line. In poetry, words are strung together to form sounds, images, and ideals that may be too complex and abstract to describe, describe directly. So literature, we talked about that last week, how literature is, the Bible is literature, and how that uh, Daniel was... Uh, had this great gift of being able to interpret literature, interpret dreams, and, and all these things that God gave him, these qualities. But poetry goes another way of saying that uh, we're all different. Everybody in this 
room is different and you get in a group of of kids and 30 of them in a classroom for teachers and and sammy i'm sure if you get about 30 of them in a room and you're sitting there trying to teach and you're going on this one plane and this one method and next thing you know you lose this 10 and you, you might be picking up this 10 and this 10 over here is bored to death because they're way beyond that already and you're trying to mix it up to say well, okay i'll go with this style and that style and and bring everybody together it's kind of like the same way in church I start talking about poetry, and everybody's like, blah, blah, blah. What's this one going to be about? What kind of goofy pastor do I have? Talk about poetry. But my grandmother loved it so much, so it made it important to me because she thought it was important, right? So those people that are influencers in your life, you need to look at things from their perspective and walk a mile in their shoes and, and, and live this life the way they live it so that we can understand the way they understand. And, and my grandma you know, would, would talk about this poetry and she would make it because it, it explained in words that my, uh, my emotions would get involved. Have you ever been around somebody like that that could put some things into words that you could feel them? It's like, wow, that makes sense, and I can sense that, I can feel that. That's what poetry is. You can just write words in a letter, but if they don't mean anything and they're not put in coin to, in terms this way, then poetry makes it where that you can feel them. It's kind of weird. Because God designed us as humans to be body, soul, and spirit. We've got a body, right? This body. This is flesh. Dust of the earth and dust will return, right? This is flesh I have. This is my body. Then it says in Thessalonians, it says this, that then we also have a spirit. Our spirit, we're born with a spirit, but that spirit is dead. So when you're born, you're born spiritually dead. So the little baby, Brandon and Miranda's little baby that's back there in the back, he's going to be, we're going to be dedicating him to the Lord here, I think, next weekend. And that little baby's alive. He's breathing. Blood's pumping. He's learning. He's experiencing things, but spiritually he's born dead because of the fall of Adam and Eve. So as he's spiritually dead, there comes a point in his life where the God's, the Spirit, moves on him and he has to decide, am I going to accept Jesus as my Savior and my Lord or am I not? And if you do accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you spiritually become alive. And that's what Nicodemus in John 3.16, you know, everybody knows John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believed on him not perish but have everlasting life. Nicodemus said, how is that going to happen? Jesus said, you're going to be born again. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born again? I was already born once. Jesus said, you're going to be spiritually born. So when you become saved, you become a new spiritual being and things become alive. But then there's also a soul. The soul is your mind and will and emotions. Any emotional people in the room? Amen. Is there anybody in the room that's ever cried and you couldn't stop yourself? You didn't want to cry. You made up your mind, I'm not going to cry, and this ain't going to bother me this time. But today, just all of a sudden, I'm sitting here, and next thing you know, your tears start falling, and you're sitting there like, man, why am I crying? I'm going to look around, and everybody's going to think I'm weak, and oh, no, and now what? God designed us that way, that we're an emotional being. That's our soul. But our soul's to be fed. What are you going to do with it? God wants your soul fed. The Road Not Taken is a poem by Robert Frost. I was going to read it, but I don't have time. It went too far. You can read it. Road Not Taken. Talked about two different paths in life and having to choose which path you're going to take. And Robert Frost wrote that. It's an awesome poem. And he was one of the books that my grandma's got out there uh, 
in poetry. She loved Robert Frost. I want to do something different. The Dusty done with us a few months ago. He broke us up in groups at church and on a Sunday morning during a service. And I thought, Dusty, you can't do that. That's, that's not church. Right? Churches, you come and you listen to music and you give an offering and you hear preaching and then you walk out and hey, another week gone. Let's go try this again. And Dusty said, we're going to break up in groups. And I was like, what in the world is he talking about? You, can't do, you can do that during Sunday school. You can do that during Wednesday night church where we used to have those Wednesday night lessons or connection group. You might be able to break up people groups, but not on ch Sunday morning. Lord have mercy, we do something, anything different. Oh, no, the world's going to fall apart. So I want us to break up in groups. Can we do that? Leslie's friend's here, so you're going to be with your friend. From school. Your guest? Okay, we work together. So Leslie's going to go with her friend, and, and Cindy, and Amy, won't you go back here with them? I thought it was a school. Oh, okay. Awesome. Okay. So let's say Sammy, you take these three hoodlum boys right here and go to this corner. Since you love being around kids so much and you do it all week, I just want to give you a little extra dose. Of, so get your chairs, boys, and go right up here. One of you's got to have a Bible or a Bible on your phone or something. Jason, Sean, Ernie, and Dusty over there. Jason, Lathan, Pap, and uh, what's your name? Why did I not know that? It's one of those moments. That's my 1.8 coming out. I was one of them kids that ate mud. You know, all these other kids doing uh, iPhones, and I was eating mud. That's that little meme. That's me. So you, you four back there in the back corner. Right back there in the corner. Yeah, I, men need to be in the corner. Ain't, all the women say amen. The men need to be in the corner. Put them in the corner. So, young girls. Robin don't want to be with her girls, so girls come up here, you and, and Jill, and, uh, and uh, yeah, you, you can be with them. You probably don't want to be with girls because you're around, yeah. So, Lynette, you're with the girls, okay? And there's five of you. That's going to be perfect, right? So the other five of you, you get in this corner right here. You, you guys look like troublemakers, so come up here. Come up here with Lynette and the girls. That's a good place for you around the teenagers. Karen deserves a good teenager. Okay, so. Yeah, so you guys turn your chairs around and talk to Karen and Lynette. So whoever's got a Bible, I need you to turn to the book of Psalms. Is there four of you here without a Bible? Oh, he's got it on his phone? Okay, good deal. Psalms, which is a poetical book in Old Testament, look at chapter 1. And I want you to answer these two questions as you read through Psalms chapter 1. I want you to re uh, talk about these. And this isn't a long thing. We're not going to make big of this, probably about, you know, five, ten minutes, something like that. No more than ten minutes. So you're going to read Psalms chapter one, you're going to answer these two questions. Where is education promoted in Psalms one? And what can I do to, edu 
to help educate others the way God would be pleased with. So you're going to answer, where does Psalms chapter 1 promote education? And what can I do to help educate others the way God will be pleased with? That's your two questions you're going to answer. And I want you to discuss it. Discuss that psalm and talk about it. What can I do? Some things to do. So start. Go. Everybody in here read. Somebody read Psalms 1. <laughs> 